Yeah, so then I think I, I ended up finishing 30th place, and and the year before I had finished 17th. So you look at those two results and you're like, oh, man, you know, I uh, it must have been a bad race. But I dug into my power files, and for the race last year took me just over three hours, like three hours and four minutes or something. And for the first, so last year, my normalized power for the three-hour race, I think, was 306. NP. This year for the first three hours of this race, my normalized power was 304. And I still had an hour and a half oh, left to ride. Yeah. Right. So it was it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a bad day. It wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a bad race. It wasn't a weaker race. Uh if anything, I think I'm in better form now. It's just this is something that I keep saying over and over and over again. And I you know, people are probably tired of hearing me say it, but the competition at these uh, at these gravel races and at these lifetime Grand Prix races just keeps going up and up and up and up. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I am your host, Trevor, and on this episode, we are talking all about the Sea Otter Classic with professional cyclist Dylan Johnson. If you are a fan of cycling or follow the sport at all, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have seen in the last week uh, a ton of footage from Sea Otter. It's part trade show, part um, race, part festival, brings together... All sorts of different bike genres from road cycling to um, enduro racing, downhill, mountain biking, gravel racing. All aspects of the cycling sport um, come together for this cycling festival called Sea Otter in Monterey, California. And... uh, It was the second year that I've been very fortunate to be able to participate at Sea Otter um, with my employer and podcast sponsor, KOM Cycling. It is an incredibly uh, busy um, few days, but I also was able to uh, take a little time and, and race the Fuego XL, which was the mountain bike race that starts the lifetime series um, of races for this season as it did last year. Uh, I was looking for someone to kind of chat about specifically the racing experience at Sea Otter. Um, There's a lot to kind of dig into Sea Otter, but uh, what I wanted to talk about, especially for this podcast, was the racing experience. And... um, it's kind of a two birds, one stone situation. I've been wanting to talk to Dylan, Dylan Johnson for a while, 
And I thought this would be an incredible opportunity to uh, hit him up, see if he'd be willing to chat about his race. I could talk about my race. And of course, I knew it would happen. We kind of get into the weeds about a few things. If you um, follow Dylan or have followed Dylan, you know that he not only is he an incredible cyclist, mountain biker, gravel cyclist, but also um, he has a fairly popular YouTube channel where he takes the time to dissect those details, those marginal gains of cycling, of uh, of racing, and really get into the science of it all. And I think that that comes through in the conversation we have. Um, so yeah, it's been a pretty busy couple weeks um, turning from uh Barry Roubaix straight to Sea Otter but man was it fantastic to be out there with um so many like-minded people in the cycling community and the crew from KOM Cycling and having the opportunity to race the Fuego XL um the start of the lifetime series with so many different athletes I couldn't be happier and yeah, I, I'm so appreciative of Dylan Johnson for taking the time to uh, chat about it. So let's get right into it. Dylan Johnson and the Sea Otter Fuego XL. Um, good morning, by the way. I don't know. Are you a morning person? Are you a, yeah. a evening person? I'm no, sure. I'm, I'm a morning person. I... Uh... I've always been a morning person. I don't I don't use alarms or anything, so oh. <laughs> I I enjoy the mornings. How about you? Um I am I'm way more of a morning person than an evening person, and my wife is way more of an evening person than a morning person. So of course mm. like it's 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 an odd combination, but yeah. um do you do most of your training in the morning then or just you get it done during the day? Um I don't know. Usually I'd probably start riding at maybe nine or 10 o'clock or so. So not super early, but I can kind of ride whenever I want. And I'd rather not ride when it's cold in the morning. So yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, I mean, you're East coast and you're like Asheville area or mm -hmm. North Carolina, right? Yeah. Bre Brevard, North Carolina. It's 30 minutes outside of Asheville. Okay, um, so great riding over there for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's the best riding on the East Coast, honestly. Um, so I, I, I did. Well, let's see, twenty twenty one, BWR North Carolina. Oh, nice. Was, yeah. I think it was twenty one. Um, yeah, and you know, actually, I was really looking forward to the. There wasn't really single track per se. I don't think on that route, but. Um, I was looking forward to like the the gravel roads, the back roads, but then I was blown away by the paved roads and how nice mm -hmm. they were. And that was yeah. probably the most fun um, I had was uh, ripping down some of those <laughs> paved uh, descents. It was it was pretty incredible for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of good road riding around here. I mean, a lot of good gravel riding, a lot of good mountain bike riding. Uh, last year's version of BWR actually had even. It, it had more, I don't think there was any, was there any single track in 2021? If you, if you call like the finish, remember, like we kind of went just to get back to the, the finishing, uh, shoot or whatever, 
um, mm-hmm. you kind of yeah. had maybe 200 meters of, of, right. of single track. <laughs> sure. Well, there was a lot more last year and I'm assuming there's going to be a lot more this year. They put, it was probably the most single track I've ever seen in a BWR race last year. Um, a BWR race at all, like even, yeah, even, I mean, uh, uh, San Diego or yeah, including San Diego and including the Utah one. I mean, they added a ton of single track, uh, Holy cow. for the 2022 race. It was a completely different race. I mean, my race time in 2021 was four, maybe four forty five or four fifty or something. And then my race time in, uh, 2022 was, I don't know, seven hours or something like that. Jeez. So. Uh, seven hours. Um, well, they also, I remember they like cut a ton of mileage, re- like really on the last minute. Yeah. Uh, so it was like, yeah. it ended up being like 90 plus miles instead of 120 or something. So that, that yeah. was, um, so even more single track than, did you do Utah last year? Mm-hmm. That no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it last year. I did it the year before that. Okay. I think it was a pretty similar course though. Yeah. Um, it was more, it was more single track than that. Wow, man. That of course they put for Utah, they put it all like right at the end. So you're pretty mm-hmm. trashed already. And then you have to go through this single track section. Uh, well, cool. Yeah. So no, no whiskey, uh, off road for you. Have, have you done that before? Or? Uh, you know, I don't think I have done whiskey. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I, I kind of over raced a bit last year. So I was trying not to over race again this year. And, um, so extra races like that, that are not part of the grand prix that require a lot of traveling. I kind of cut out. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised and not surprised at how many repeating repeated names I saw from sea otter to whiskey. It's just like, they just went south a little bit and <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and and race, but just yeah, like back to back. It's got to yeah. be it's got to be a little brutal, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean the, those uh, those guys do back to back big weekends like that all the time. I mean, I think there are even some of them who did uh, BWR, oh right, right, then yeah. Otter, then Sea Otter, then Whiskey. So th- so three oh, weekends back to back. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, if you don't mind, we could just kind of jump into it. Um, I was hoping, and we're I don't know, like a week out of it now. Um, so I'm sorry if you're tired of talking about it or thinking about it too much. But I was hoping to talk with someone about Sea Otter and the race and how it went for them, and I raced mm-hmm. it as well. I did the XL as as well, and it was pretty gnarly in, in my experience, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but then, yeah, reaching out to you, I was like, man, this would be, this would be a perfect opportunity. So, um, yeah, let's, if you don't mind, let's chat a little bit about sea otter. I mean, I yeah, think for, be, sure. for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, first off, I'm wondering because sea otter is of course, not just the race itself. It is like a four day fest bike festival. And, mm-hmm. um, for a lot of people like myself, I had, um, I had duties to attend to at, at our booth at KOM cycling's booth and I'm on my feet all day and I'm talking to people all day and it's not necessary. I'm not getting able to ride much beforehand. So it's not really the best race prep, but it's also just, just the name of the game when you're at sea otter for you. Uh, how early did you get there? And did you have a lot of like 
sponsorship obligations to do and was it was it as busy for you as i'm assuming it was um like it was for me leading up to the race yeah it was busy for sure there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of sponsorship stuff to do there um i booked most of my sponsorship obligations on thursday so that i would have friday before the race on saturday to just do my pre-ride and chill although to be honest Friday ended up being a full day too with uh, Lifetime Grand Prix stuff. Um, and I think we were out at the venue for probably six or seven hours on Friday as well. So it's not oh, like gosh. a Friday. It's not like Friday was a quick day. And it doesn't seem like anything really happens. It qu happens quickly at Sea Otter um, other than the racing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the It's it's just even getting from the parking area to the, the oh, course. Oh, God. Yeah, figuring out the course, and then if you've got to be at a certain uh, a certain booth, finding the booth in the sea of booths oh at the venue is insane. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's a uh, it it can be a little bit of a stressful weekend. Yeah, for sure, and of course, there's not like a ton of places to sit down, so it is like you're always on your feet. Uh, luckily, it wasn't. I remember last year being like ridiculously hot at the early mm -hmm. part of the the whole deal but um it was warm but not it was sunny but not terribly warm so it's not like we're sweating yeah. our butts off the whole time but um I, do i mean i'm guessing it's kind of like a a give and take with the sponsorship obligations because they want you to do well but also the reason you're there is to promote their <laughs> their brands right. so it's kind of like, are they cool with you saying, no, I gotta, I gotta make sure and, and take care of Dylan here. Or they're like, no, this is what we brought you out for. So, you know, come, yeah. come in and, and get your picture taken or something. Uh, you know, it depends on the sponsor. I would say that most sponsors are cool with you looking after yourself before a race. Um, although I was having this exact conversation with Carrie Warner because he uh, bike flights is not only a sponsor of his but i believe that he actually works for bike flights so he he has to man the booth the entire time at the expo um for multiple days before the race and he has to be on his feet all you know that whole time yeah. and and then he has to race well and i was like i was like man you'd probably do better at the race if you weren't you know manning the booth for so long and he's like oh yeah you know it's uh i don't know they they don't care about that or whatever <laughs> um it's just it's just kind of it kind of blew my mind because i was like man bike flights would really get a lot of publicity if carrie warner you know got on the podium or something um and by making him stand at this booth all day they're they're lowering the chances that he does that so uh, yeah i mean it, it's it is a give and take i guess and it really depends on the sponsor yeah, I, I myself, I started to feel guilty leading up to race day because it kind of dawned on me that I was going to be out there for damn near six hours, which I which I was. <laughs> and and then I'm like, oh, man, I'm really I'm really kind of not uh, doing my duties at the booth. Like that's basically uh, I think by the time it started, we started like 930 um, or close to that with in, in the uh, age group wave I was in. And then by the time I cleaned up and was done, it was like, 
well, it's time to go home, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I felt a little guilty about being away from the booth so much, but but luckily I had a good crew that that manned it while I was while I was there. But um, cool, yeah. Uh, and did you? Well, of course, like you you raced last year. Um, mm-hmm. It was similar course, but a little different, right? Yeah. So last year, obviously the course was shorter. I think it was only 80 K and then this year they advertised it as a hundred K, but it was longer than a hundred K. I think yeah. it was maybe 110 K or something like that. What what was your, uh, what, sorry to interrupt, but what was your elevation at the end of the day? Do you remember? Oh man, I want to say it was eight or 9,000 feet. Yeah. Mine was nine plus, which I was yeah. not expecting nine plus in, uh, yeah, like, seven like it was just under 70 miles but it's a it's a surprising amount of climbing um you don't you know you're driving around in that area and it's hilly but you know you don't see any mountains right and uh you do that race and it's a surprising amount of climbing yeah Yeah. and and the other difference i would say with last year's course to this year's course so that of course they added um some stuff onto the lap they added a little bit of single track and i think they added some gravel sections at the end of the end of the lap was it that whole sand stuff at the end there was like this whole sandy mess and i don't remember that from last year was that all added? i i think that was added as well that's basically sand pit climb yeah i don't don't remember that being in there yeah me neither (laughs) but it seemed like the course was a lot bumpier this year and i think because of all the rain they'd had Mm -hmm. um you know i rode a full suspension last year and i this year you know, I was kind of going back and forth. Should I do hardtail? Should I do full suspension? Ended up bringing the full suspension. And I was pretty glad that I did because when I pre-rode the course, I was thinking, yeah, this is, this is, this is bumpier than last year. And last year I rode a full suspension, thought it was a good choice. So this is is the right choice. Yeah. Like right out of the gate, as soon as you dump into that single track, I, that's the first thing I noticed. I mean, that Mm -hmm. I was able to pre-ride just a little bit and, um, that but i was able to get that first bit of single track um and i was like holy cow this is way bumpier than i remember and mm-hmm. i made the mistake of last year signing up for the gravel race and yeah. i brought you know i <laughs> i did all this work bringing a gravel bike out there and then mm-hmm. i pre-rode the course last year like part of the course last year i'm like what what was i thinking this is this is not a gravel race mm-hmm. and so i I raced the gravel race last year on a borrowed full suspension mountain bike and I did pretty well. But, uh, so this year I brought my full suspension, uh, mountain bike as well. And it was a much better choice for sure. Did, did you end up doing the gravel race too, or just the, no, XL? no, I did the Fuego XL this year. Okay. Um, gotcha. I, I kind of not last year was my first sea otter, the first thing and, uh, first experience. And I think, you know, they want to have a gravel offering, uh, obviously, but I quickly realized last year, no, this is like, this is a mountain bike event and yeah. I want to do the mountain bike events. So, yeah. so yeah, so I brought my, my full suspension. This there's year. not enough, there's not enough gravel roads at that venue to make a real gravel race. It would have to be a very short lap and then multiple laps if they wanted to make it a true gravel race that was just a hundred percent gravel, I think. Right. Yeah. And th- you have to use like the single track to connect to those gravel roads anyways. So, yeah. um, and, and then this year's gravel race last year's was only one lap. And then this year's mm-hmm. looked like it was pretty close to what we did 
for the yeah. XL, except they did kind of do a couple different single track sections, but I can't believe. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm so glad I didn't ride <laughs> even, yeah. a, even a hardtail. I mean, some of those downhills I thought were pretty gnarly. So I'm glad that I had the full suspension for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Same boat. Yeah. So, um, talk about your race a little bit. Um, it seemed like it was fast. Like, I can't believe how fast <laughs> that was. Um, yeah. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was going pretty fast. And then to look at the difference in times, it's like, Oh my God, you guys were flying. Um, yeah. So I, man, I, I've told, I've, I've told this story about the start a number of times on different podcasts at this point, And just to people who've asked me about the race. Um, and I'm going to tell it again when I make a YouTube video about the race, which, uh, I'll probably film either this afternoon or tomorrow. Um, but I'll, I'll rehash it again here. So good. good. <laughs> this, was, <laughs> this is probably the dumbest thing that I've done in a race in a very long time. I mean, obviously I've done dumber things in races when I was a junior and I didn't know any better, but this was in my professional cycling career. This was, this is like a complete rookie move. And I was, I was, you know, face palming as soon as I, as soon as I did it. Uh, basically, uh, so last year we, we went as hard as we possibly could from the mid, from the second, the gun went off until we hit the single track, right? It's XC yep. style start, probably yep. two minutes, uh, as hard as you can possibly go up that first little climb on the racetrack. Um, and the start is slightly different, but I would say that it was the same. It was probably the same distance because, the start was a little further back on the track last year uh, yep. and it was further up on the track this year, but the single track start was also further up on the track. So um, yeah, last year, I mean, I just went as hard as I possibly could for two minutes and I think I got into the single track maybe 20th last year, which isn't a terrible start. Um, I ended up f finishing 17th. So that's probably about where I should have slotted in. And so, you know, the whole week leading up to the race, I'm like, man, you just got to put out your, your two, mi two minute max power. It's got to be, uh, man, I was psyching myself up. Like I was warming up, psyching myself up thinking you just got to do your, your two minute max as hard as you can for two minutes. I'm really excited where this is going. Actually, <laughs> that's, it, that's what's going to make or break the race is this start. Um, so you, you just, you got to put everything out there on the start. All right, so fast forward to the start, and the gun goes off, and shockingly, every, no, I don't know, I guess the field just decided not to go all out for the first minute uh, this year. I have no idea why, but I had it so in my head that I needed to put out my best two-minute power on, on this start that I just sprinted past everyone, and I found myself off the front. Uh, I never looked back and saw the gap, but a friend of mine told me that I probably had, you know, 10 or 15 meters on the entire field <laughs> in the first 30 seconds of the race. Cause I was just like, I, right, you got to sprint as hard as you can for two minutes. And I can't believe that no one got a picture or a video of it. I've seen so many pictures and videos of the start and somehow nobody got a picture or video of me sprinting off the front. So I guess you're just going to have to take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So did you get into the single track then first? No, 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 no. So this is why the this is why this ended up being such a mistake is because this is about a two minute climb at the start. And I was probably off the front for about the first 90 seconds. And with and in the last 30 seconds, the Peloton caught me. And I was so gassed from going so hard for 90 seconds that in that 30 second period oh, from when they caught me to when you hit the single track, I would say 40 to 50 guys passed me. Oh my in, God. In 30 <laughs> seconds. And you know, that's, I, I, it probably sounds crazy to somebody who doesn't race, but if you've ever road raced before, this isn't shocking to anyone. Um, you know, it's just, it's one guy off the front as soon as, as soon as he gets caught by the field, he's he's done. Yeah, <laughs> you know like what absorbed, I mean? absorbed just by the whole group, and then right, out the back, completely <laughs> absorbed. Um, so I wasn't quite out the back. I mean, there were eighty four riders in that pro field, and I probably got in to the single track. I don't know. I would say forty fifth to fiftieth position. Okay. But it was it was uh, a dumb move, obviously, because had I just stayed in the pack and and started sprinting when everybody else started sprinting. I mean, at the very least, I might've been 20th or 30th like last year. So I was in a worse position <laughs> because I did that. And uh, I was pretty pissed at myself at the time, but I, I, you know, it's a long race. It's a, it's a nearly 70 mile race. So, you know, it's not the end of the day. And I, I kept picking riders off all day. Uh, in fact, I, you know, I don't know that anybody from behind me passed me. I was just passing riders constantly. And I, and I got a strong group that I got to work with, um, going on some of those, those gravel sections, at least for the first lap. Um, and in that first lap, I think I was passing a rider every 10 minutes. So it, it always feels good to be the rider passing people and not be the rider getting passed by people. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so at, maybe in at that, least, yeah, in that in that sense, then uh, you you set yourself up better than you know the the right. mental heartache of of someone like all these people passing you later mm -hmm. in the later in the yeah. race. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So then I think I, I ended up finishing thirtieth place, and and the year before I had finished seventeenth. So. You look at those two results and you're like, oh man, you know, I, uh, it must've been a bad race. Um, and I mean, I guess that's one way to look at it, but if you, I, you know, I dug into my power files and I'll talk about all of this in, in the video I make, but I dug into my power files and for the race last year took me just over three hours, like three hours and four minutes or something. And for the first, so last year, my normalized power for the three hour race, I think was 306 NP. This year, for the first three hours of this race, my normalized power was 304, and I still had an hour and a half oh, left to ride. Yeah, right. So it it wasn't you know it wasn't a bad day. It wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a bad race. It wasn't a weaker race. Uh, if anything, I think I'm in better form now. It's just this is something that I keep saying over and over and over again, and I. You know, people are probably tired of hearing me say it, but the competition at these uh, at these gravel races and at these lifetime Grand Prix races just keeps going up and up and up and up. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I was thinking. I mean, there are a yeah. lot of a lot of different things happening here. Um, different course to different 
different terrain ish. It was, it was, I thought the course was harder this year, but I mean, I think the biggest thing is like you said, the, the competition is, is getting, um, crazy fast. Yeah. And, and I kind of wanted to, to talk about that a little bit, but let's, let's, before we get to that, let's talk, a, let's finish up, uh, the, the, um, the race itself. Um, was there anything, I, I, what did you do about nutrition and did you wear a, a pack or did you just yeah. take bottle hand ups and yeah. So, so some people may listening may have watched my recent, uh, wind tunnel gravel video where I talked about how shockingly, uh, wearing a, uh, Usui hydration pack was faster than not wearing it. Yeah. Not every hydration pack is faster. In fact, one of the packs that we tested, I think it was an Osprey pack, was actually slower. I think it just depends on, you know, the amount of pockets it has and the shape of the pack. But um, the USUI pack is a pretty aerodynamic shape. And it actually, and I'm not sponsored by USUI in any way. I paid I paid full price for my, my <laughs> USUI packs. I'm just saying it was faster on my body, um, at least according to the wind tunnel. So that kind of completely changed my mind about using a pack during racing. I used to try to avoid using a pack during racing, but um, I started with no pack and I just had about maybe half a bottle of water, like not that much water. And the reason for that is because I wanted to be as light as possible for that first climb. Okay. Oh, that interesting. Start. Yeah. Uh, and then the start didn't even end up going well, so <laughs> it's not like it really mattered. <laughs> but but uh and then at that first feed zone i i picked up a pack and then at the, the second time around the feed zone i switched that pack out with another pack so okay. i did okay half a bottle and then two packs and both of those packs were filled up a little more than halfway so about i would say you know maybe a liter and a quarter for each one of those okay yeah um and was that straight water or did you have nutrition in the pack? Yeah, I did. I, I, I don't drink straight water when I'm okay. racing. Um, I did flow formulas and I think I had in that liter, you know, let's call it 1200 milliliters. Uh, I think I had four scoops of flow formulas. And then I was suppling, supplementing that with uh, goo energy gels. So I would do about two-ish goo energy gels per hour. And I think probably if you break that down, it was roughly 90 to 100 grams of carbohydrates per hour. Okay. Yeah, that that really puts a lot of pressure on... I mean, I don't know if you think this way or like your crew that's out there handing off your your pack, but man, if you miss that pack or something goes wrong and it makes you stop, I mean, you, you're putting a lot of pressure on that moment to get that pack, and especially that early in the race too. Um, yeah. And then, but I, I'm sure that a lot of people were changing out bottles or packs or whatever halfway through. Um, yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a lot of pressure. I think if you, so if I were to have missed that pack hand up, I, I can't just continue racing. I have to turn around and yeah. go get the pack. It's going to cost me five seconds, but if I miss the pack hand up, it's going to cost me five minutes and not having my nutrition. So yeah. at least maybe more. So, you know, 
it is pressure, I guess. And we did the pack hand up very well. Um, it didn't cost me anything getting the pack, but, uh, yeah, it's, I think, uh, you know, some racers may be so in the moment that if they miss their bottle hand up or they miss their, you know, you know, getting some extra gels from the feed zone, they're like, oh, I just continue racing, hope for the best. Um, that five seconds that it would have cost you to just turn around real quick and pick up your bottle that you missed um, is going to save you. Like I said, it's going to save you five or 10 minutes at the end of the race when you are dehydrated and underfueled. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, started with two bottles, um, mm -hmm. with, I think overall is like 560 calories in the bottles, which isn't a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how many carbs or whatever, but, um, and, and then I had another set of bottles. What, what, uh, what drink mix do you use? Uh, infinite go far infinite. Okay. Yeah. Is it just, do you know if it's just carbohydrates or if it's like a mixture of carbohydrates and protein? Man, that's a great question. I could go get it and we could talk about it. <laughs> it's a, it's okay. It's okay. I was just curious. <laughs> um, I think it's a mixture, but I'm not, okay. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but so I had those two and, and I knew I had two more coming up. And so I kind of babied those for the first two and a half hours which was like mm -hmm. the first lap. And um, I think I probably, and I, did, I hadn't anything else either. I, th those are the only calories I had, no goose or anything. Um, they said that this was a fully supported uh, race and that there would be, that first aid station would have gels and water and, and whatever, um, which I didn't stop at the first mm -hmm. time around. Then uh, got through the first mm -hmm. uh, lap, took the bottles. So in the first two and a half hours, I babied those 560 calories in the next 10 minutes. I think I downed the next 500, 560 cal. I just, I just, uh, I needed, I should have had more calories in me before, um, in that first lap. And so I, I just downed those two bottles so quickly and I was in a bad spot, but I also knew 10 miles up the road, there's that aid station. Mm-hmm get to the aid station. Well, there was no nutrition, no food, no anything, um, just water. And then yeah. some guy had like a protein bar that he's like, you can have this. It was disgusting. <laughs> and then another person gave me a rice cake. Like what, what is that going to do? So the, the, basically the last, what is it? 20 miles or 25 miles. I, mm -hmm. uh, I had the water and, uh, you know, 60 calories from a rice cake. And that was mm -hmm. about it. It was, it was, I, I was not very happy, but whatever I made it, but yeah, that's, um, <laughs> uh, I probably should have planned a little better. Although I do remember reading that they said that there would be nutrition at that aid station. And I was pretty yeah. when there wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have come to learn that I, unless I know, the race promoter and I know what they have at an aid station. I have come to learn to not rely on, on what the aid station is supposed to have at it. Um, it yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's definitely too many times. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, I, I feel like I was more upset at myself for not planning properly and, and thinking that mm -hmm. I could get away with it. But, um, I, I needed more calories. It was more of a, it just depleted me. I think the, 
the full sun and it was like creeping up towards like 70 degrees and I was sweating my ass off and I was just totally depleted by that, by that. And yeah. I, I think I, I pushed it really hard on the first lap and I'm like, my legs feel good. So this is either a great sign or I'm going to implode. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I did kind of that first set of sing that single track and those punchy climbs at the beginning of the lap, those are tough. And those hurt the second time around, but luckily some of those calories that I downed really quick kind of kicked mm-hmm. in and then I was better. Um, but the wind did pick up. Was it windy towards the, towards the end for you guys as well? Yeah. I remember there being a little bit of wind. Yeah. 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 I, there was some good sections of, you kind of do all that climbing and then you're basically on a gravel road and you can, you can kind of just get in a good groove and mm-hmm. uh but the second time through it was basically wind in my face and i i just was having a hard time holding uh a decent amount of of speed at all but mm-hmm. anyways it was <laughs> it was a good experience for me i mean it was it was fun yeah. i guess from my perspective it's cool to talk to you about this because um it it was fun to see all the pros take off and then myself have the same experience and do the same race and know that everyone else is doing the same race. So that was a, I think that's, that's the fun of like something like Sea Otter or Unbound or Mid-South, um, you know, yeah. to, to be experiencing the same thing that everyone is experiencing. Yeah, that's awesome. Let me ask you, do you, what do you think of, uh, so this was a little bit of a controversy when Unbound announced that they were going to do a separate pro and amateur start. And mm-hmm. obviously they had a separate pro and amateur start at Sea Otter. Yep. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that that these races, they should have a separate pro start or should everybody just start together? It doesn't, it didn't bother me at Sea Otter. Um, mm-hmm. I had no business be starting, you know, and of course, like I, I would have been way in the back and stuff mm-hmm. would have uh, sorted itself out. Um, but... Yeah, I, I don't think it bothers me very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those starts get kind of scary and too crowded, and then you have people that have no business being up front that shouldn't be up front, and then yeah. it just gets kind of hairy that way. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's any real right or wrong way to do it. I don't I don't mind races trying to figure it out or putting like or having a pro start versus an amateur start. Um, I, I personally still feel a part of it all if I'm starting in a different wave than, than the pros started. Um, but I do know like BWR or mid South, um, couple of the times I've raced that it's like, okay, let's just hang in the front group for as long as I can until I get blown off the back. And that's also (laughs) really fun to do. You know, that's just, Mm -hmm. it's just cool to like see where you stack up in that whole thing. Um, so I get both of it, both, both sides of it, but, um, for especially for sea otter i was happy to be in the um in the age group category yeah. that i was mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean uh yeah that, i yeah i i think that you know i for for unbound i think sea otter it makes a ton of sense because we're talking about a mountain bike race with single track and yeah and 
Unbound and, you know, these other gravel races where it's quite a wide open road, uh, you could make the argument that, hey, why don't we just all start together? But people were bringing up the fact that there were a lot of crashes happening last year in the first 20 miles at Unbound. And, you know, I mean, splitting up the starts and having there be a, a pro men's start, a pro women's start, and then an amateur start, it's just... It's not even that people don't know how to handle their bikes. I mean, I think I think everybody up there in the first 500 probably knows how to handle their bikes decently enough. It's just that it's too many people trying to be in one small area at one time. And when there's that many people on bikes in that small of an area, crashes are going to happen. Yeah. Uh, what's the like? What's the starting field for Unbound um, for the 200? I mean, it's got to uh, be several thousand, right? Yeah, like a couple two or thousand. thousand or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't see how, logistically how that how that works uh, cleanly. Um, yeah. I mean, we yeah. our, our big gravel race in Michigan here is uh, Barry Roubaix. And we have that's probably it's four plus thousand racers, mm -hmm. but it's that's across four different distances. Yeah. But um, they I mean, they have to s separate it out into into waves um just yep. because i don't yeah it just it, it becomes a safety thing mm -hmm. um so and then and then it kind of and we're, we're not really the ones to to have this conversation but like you start separating pro and amateurs and then it's that whole conversation of well do you separate women and men starting mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and so yeah there's and I actually don't mind, like I said, different races doing different things. Like, I don't think there has mm -hmm. to be an answer. It can right. just, it can be like, let's try this and see what happens. And if it works, yeah. it works. If not, um, I mean, certainly you're not going to split up the competition amongst each other. Um, so mm -hmm. as long as that still is there, then yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me to start somewhere else other than, uh, what the pros start at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is, so Unbound is the next race on the mm -hmm. Lifetime Series. Uh, is that yeah. your next race then? Uh, I will do Gravel Locos in uh, Heiko, Texas, yeah. which is two weeks before. And I, I think that I've done that the last two years, and I think that it is a good kind of little tune-up race for... I call it a little tune-up race, but it's 150 miles and a lot of really fast riders show up. So I don't know if little <laughs> is the right word there, but um, it's a good tune-up race for Unbound because it's it's quite similar terrain, sort of the same sort of rolling hills that Unbound has. Uh, it's it's a very it's a long race too. It's 150 miles, so it's just 50 miles short of the Unbound distance. We're talking about probably a seven to a seven and a half hour day as opposed to a you know a ten hour day. Um, so it won't take you quite as long to recover from, which is a good thing if we if we need to turn around within two weeks and do unbound. But it's it's similar terrain. A lot of the same riders show up for it, so uh, I I think it's a good tune up for unbound. Yeah, how many years have you done unbound? Um, did you do? I mean, you've done it. Obviously, you've done it. Or have you done it before the whole lifetime series? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is my, this will be my fourth year doing it. Okay. I did it for the first time in 2018. And then I did it in 20, they didn't have it in 2020. Mm -hmm. 
and I did it in 2021, 2022, and then other this year. Yeah. How, how do you, um, in looking at your calendar, um, do you look at some of these races and say, I mean, all the all the lifetime series races are important, but mm-hmm. do you separate them out a little bit and say this is my A lifetime series race, or this is uh, not as important, or I see myself this kind of race fitting myself better than than this race? Um, how do how do you separate those out? Yeah, I do separate them. Um, there are some races, even though points wise, every single Grand Prix race is weighted equally. Uh, so you could make the argument that you should just you know, go for every single race with an equal amount of preparation. And sure. I, I, I think some, some courses suit me better. And then there are some, some Grand Prix races that I think that are, are, they're just more prestigious than the other ones. So unbound, I think, you know, regardless of the Grand Prix or not, uh, a good result at unbound is career changing, mm-hmm. right? Whereas I don't know, a good result at Crusher and the Tusher, <laughs> it's like, it, it it's it's something it's don't get me wrong it's yeah. it's impressive and it's it it it's definitely helpful for your career as a professional cyclist but it's not like if you win crusher and the tusher versus if you win unbound i mean if you win unbound the next year you're going to have a six-figure contract if you win crusher and the tusher maybe you get uh you know uh five five grand from a sponsor that wouldn't have otherwise sponsored you next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's different. So I, the two races that I am really targeting hard this year are unbound in Leadville. Uh, and I think that, I think that they both suit me well, Leadville, probably a little less so because I do come, I I've lived at low altitude my whole life on the East coast. But I think that I actually respond decently to altitude when I go to altitude. And and if I, you know, if I spend some time in Colorado before the race, I think that I, I can be well acclimated for Leadville. And I think that of the seven Grand Prix races in the series this year, I think that the two most prestigious races in the series are unbound in Leadville. Yeah, I see that for sure. Um, you know, I Big Sugar's kind of getting there. I feel like, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in ten years Big Sugar is on the same level mm-hmm. as Unbound and Leadville. Big Sugar, I mean, Big Sugar. I think the first year that they had Big Sugar was like, they were gonna have it in twenty twenty, but they couldn't. I think yeah. the first year they had it was twenty twenty one. Yeah, so like the it doesn't have the it doesn't have the history or the longevity as Unbound or or Leadville, but yeah. I mean, you I look at someone like Paige Onweller who was first year doing Lifetime last year, and mm-hmm. that win I feel like that win her win last year at Big Sugar changed her career for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you could argue that if. I mean, who who knows what would have happened and who knows what was going on behind the scenes with, you know, her contracts and everything. But I mean, you could argue that had she not won Big Sugar, she wouldn't have her Trek contract right now. I think that I yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's that's 100 percent true. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, you you mentioned it and I do want to ask like. Um, so. 
I think the end of last year, Ted King was doing some podcasts with just a bunch of gravel people, and he would ask them about like the state of gravel, and mm-hmm. uh, which is in, which is an interesting and kind of um, vague thing to ask. But you being um, now a part of it for several years, racing on the highest level for several several years, and then experiencing the whole Lifetime Series last year. Um, which I think overall Lifetime and other brands and everything would consider it a success. This year, it seems like it's mm-hmm. starting with a lot of momentum. Um, yeah, like where, how do you see it being a part of the competition, being part of the racing, being part of all this? Um, you had mentioned like the competition is getting more fierce and fierce and faster and faster. Um is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like, talk to me a little bit about where you stand in, in this whole state of gravel or, I guess, lifetime. Um, yeah. What are your feelings on that? Yeah, well, I mean, just to talk about the competition, uh, let, me give, let me give some concrete examples because some people listening to this, if they're not as tuned in to the gravel scene, they may, they may not realize how insane the competition has gotten over the past couple of years so i'm i'll use unbound as an example because everybody knows unbound when i first did unbound in 2018 my finishing time was i think 11 and a half hours and just to give some context to that race i blew up catastrophically in the last in the second half of the race i bonked i cramped there was a there was a period where I was on the side of the road at some farmer's house for 10 minutes just sitting there. I was making no progress on the course. I was literally just sitting at a farmer's house and he had some water. I think that was at mile 170 or something. Um, and it was an absolute, I was just dragging myself to the finish line, right? Uh, pretty miserable day, yeah. uh, 11 and a half hours. And... I finished ninth place that year. <laughs> okay. Right? All right. All right. So the next time I do it, 2021, I get multiple flat tires, uh, but they don't cost me a lot of time because I don't have to put a tube in. I just plug it. Um, and I have a better race, but I was fading quite a bit towards the end. I think my finishing time was was low 11. I think it might have been, maybe it was under 11, 10, 10 50 or something. Um and that got me 12th place, right? So okay. I, I go faster, but I get a worse result. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about last year. Last year, I have a flawless race. I don't have any flat tires. I don't bonk. I don't cramp. Uh, I have this super great pacing strategy. Everything goes according to plan. Uh, I have the highest power output that I've ever done at Unbound, and I get 25th place. Oh, man. <laughs> So it just kind of, it just sort of puts all this, and and this is not an isolated thing with Unbound. This is every single race I'm doing. <laughs> now this, ha- <laughs> this happens, this happens at Mid-South, this happens at Sea, at sea Otter. It's, it's every single race. Uh, I, you know, I've got a higher power output, a higher average speed, a faster finishing time, and a worse placing on the results sheet. So... <sighs> You know, I mean, it's it can be a little bit of a little bit frustrating, I guess. But you know, at the same time, I guess it just it's it's cool to be part of a growing sport. Um, 
And, you know, when a sport is growing like this, that's just, that's just what's going to happen. Um, you know, you, you may stay at your same level or even improve, but relative to all these new riders that are entering, uh, it may seem like you're doing worse, but I, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of fuel for the fire, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm hearing you correctly, even though it's frustrating, it's still motivating in a way. Um, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not frustrating where it just, uh, keeps you from wanting to even line up with, with the competition. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, those diminishing returns that it could be, (laughs) it seems like the harder you work, the, Mm -hmm. the, the less you're, uh, (laughs) the less you're seeing, but, um, yeah, I mean, and then from from my perspective, it's it, it's just wild to see. I mean, you, you start seeing all these names that you haven't, you don't recognize. Mm-hmm. And um, I know Sea Otter, for instance, had a few new names. Some of them in the Lifetime series, some of them, maybe some of them not. But mm-hmm. um, you get a lot of like international riders coming and, and taking it on. I mean, it's like last year's Unbound with uh, with. Ivar, Ivan, Ivar, 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 Ivar Slick. Yeah. And it's like, I think most people are like, who the heck is this guy? Um, But obviously, I mean, he was strong and, uh, but I, I wonder if you're going to get more and more and more of that. And then the competition is just going to kind of grow and grow. But as a, as a spectator, as a, as a uh, fan of the sport, it's, it's fun for me Mm -hmm. to kind of look back or on, on the sideline and just watch it all watch it all happen. I just, I get curious about people like you who are in it and how mm-hmm. you're feeling as it's going on, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, it's, it's both, I mean, it's, it's a little bit frustrating, but like I said, I, I try not to let that, uh, I try to let it, you know, be a motivator, not, um, you know, not, it, if anything, I think that it's increasing my level of motivation, not decreasing it. For example, I got back from Sea Otter and I was like, well, I need more fitness. So I'm, I got to do something with these, this month and a half I have before Unbound and, and I'm entering quite a big training block that I probably otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. So yeah, using, using it as motivation for sure. And, and I think the, the reason why we're seeing this is because there is, there is more money in, if you're, so if you're at the, if you're a U.S. domestic pro, like if you're at that domestic pro level where you can't quite make it to the world tour and road, or you can't quite make it to the world cup and mountain bike, um, you're at the level where you can be a, a professional in the U.S. If you want to make money, you need to be in gravel. You're going to make less money if you're in road and you're going to make way, way less money if you're in mountain bike. Um, and that's just the reality of the situation right now, for whatever reason. I mean, it's the way the industry is going, but if you are a domestic level pro in the U S and you want to make a career out of it, you need to be in gravel. Yeah. Which I think is great. And I'm glad that American cycling has that opportunity for American athletes. Um, Mm -hmm. I, some, I just, I hope that the, the growth of that it's, it grows correctly. And I mean, I, mm-hmm. I see things as like, as an amateur going into say like, um, 
I don't know, uh, SPT gravel or something. And the, and the, the, the cost to get into that race is like ridiculous <laughs> for, for yeah. myself, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and so I don't know, it's, that's just an example of like, sometimes I want, I hope that these races aren't getting too big or too popular or too mm-hmm. whatever. But then also on the other side, I know that's giving opportunities for riders like you to make a living. And so I think yeah. that's fantastic as well. Um, yeah. I, I think that, you know, gravel has been grassroots for so long and a lot of people don't want to see that side of gravel go. Like when the UCI started getting involved with, you know, adding a gravel world championship in this, you know, gravel world series, a lot of, a lot of people were up in arms. Uh, I can see both sides. I'm not, I don't have, I would say I don't really have a super strong opinion either way. I just, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of fine to just let gravel evolve into what it'll be. Uh, I don't necessarily need to see it stick to what it's been for the last, I don't know, 10 years or however long you think gravel has been around. Some people think that it's been around since the dawn of cycling because people (laughs) have been riding bikes on dirt roads ever since bikes were invented. So, (laughs) I mean, I I think as long as gravel has been around, it's always been evolving right like mm-hmm. i don't yeah. think it's ever stopped and it's been growing or or changing or you know whatever so yeah it, it's there is definitely more room for it to grow or change or evolve and yeah i think that's exciting for sure mm-hmm. um but uh yeah go, kind of going back to the competition thing i was just thinking uh if the ceiling hadn't been pushed further and further with other athletes then your ceiling wouldn't, I mean, so it's giving you motivation, but it's also pushing your ceiling mm-hmm. further and further. And yeah. the same, the same output is not going to get you eighth place anymore. So you yourself have to become a better athlete and a better racer. Yeah. So I it's think- not just motivation. It is actually making you a stronger rider, right. even though on paper, you're looking at the, the results may not look that way, but, mm-hmm. um, some of the, some of the data might, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, if, it, if that ceiling wasn't pushed, then maybe you yourself would never have gotten to be, yeah. you know, your full potential, I guess. I, I think that it, you're absolutely right about that. I think it's pushing everyone's ceiling. Um, I think that let's just say in a, in a hypothetical, um, I don't know, in a, in an alternate universe, people just trained on their bike, but they didn't, they weren't racing each other. They just were training to see how strong they could get for some reason. And they weren't competing with anyone. I mean, there are people like that who don't compete with anyone. They just see how strong they can get on their bike. I don't think that people would be nearly as strong as they are, uh, than when they have competition around them, or they have the idea that, that there's a competition coming up that they need to train for. I think that pushes people to limits that they don't know they have. Uh, I'm going to make an analogy to kind of extreme sports like skateboarding or BMX or I don't know, pick, pick your extreme sport. But the progression of those sports, it, it's completely different than endurance sports, obviously, because we're talking about a, hot, a, a, a sport where it's almost all skill, whereas endurance sports are, are almost all, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> aerobic Ph- fitness. Physiology or something. Yeah, right. yeah. 
Um, there's there's a skill skill component, obviously, in gravel racing and mountain bike racing, but it's primarily uh, fitness. But it, it's it's interesting seeing the progression in a sport like skateboarding or BMX or any extreme sport where you know we're talking about. Let's just say, for example, like a, I don't know, a double backflip or something. Ten years ago, twenty years ago, that's that's completely insane. Like no one can do a double backflip, and now it's like. And when the first double backflip was landed, it was the craziest thing that's ever happened. And now there's 50 riders in the world that can do that. And they're doing stuff way crazier than that. And, and constantly seeing this is pushing, uh, pushing those sports and they, they're, they're constantly progressing and you can never compare one year to a previous year because the level just keeps getting higher and higher and higher and higher. Um, when you can now you could argue that the same thing is happening in endurance sports although i will say that in endurance sports we're talking about there's some sort of physiological ceiling that humans have to contend with you know you can't yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's there's only so many watts per kilo that a human is even capable of right and eventually we're going to hit that ceiling yeah if we haven't already but eventually but i mean that's the it's the same it's like the four minute mile back mm -hmm. in the day. And that was right. a, once that was broken, no one thought it could be broken. And then it, some guy broke it. And then it just was like a yeah. bunch of people broke it within the next year. Um, exactly. And it's, I think that's, it's like, if you, if you know, it's possible, then, yeah, then it's like, well, I'd go get it. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know? and that's, that's the, you know, the competition or the mental component of it all. Um, take that away I think the human body is only capable of so much, but bring mm -hmm. that mental component to it or the competition yeah. or whatever, then it's like the, the human body can, there's a great book called endure that kind of looks at all of these, mm -hmm. all of these different things. But I think about that with a two, uh, two hour marathon and, yeah. and I feel like they, it was, it was an experiment, right? It was more of a, mm -hmm. can the human body actually do that? And even though it's outside of a racing situation, even though it's, it's like, you know, all the help was given to him as he's riding, as he's running, as he's doing this, but just for other humans to know that it's possible, mm -hmm. it might be the only way for it to actually happen again in a racing situation or um, yeah. a different situation. So, yeah, I mean that the ceiling just keeps creeping further and further and we just keep keep meeting it uh, hopefully <laughs> right yeah yeah i think that i think we're gonna see a sub two-hour marathon in a race scenario in probably within the next 10 years yeah. i wouldn't be surprised i mean they're already so close at this point there's so 201 close. i think is the world record 201 something is the, yeah, is change, the world record yeah. I mean, it might be by uh, Elliot Kipchoge who did that sub two hour yeah. experiment, or it might be by another runner, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see it in the next 10 years. Yeah. Incredible. Um, well, cool, Dylan. I've taken plenty of your time. I really appreciate your uh, perspective on all of this. Mm -hmm. And then also just like chatting about sea otter. I mean, it was fun for me and I was, yeah. I was hoping to find someone like you to just kind of chat about the, the race and the course and everything. And, uh, yeah, it worked out perfect. So appreciate it. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Mid-Pack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling. 
the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by myself, Trevor Gibney. A huge thank you to Dylan Johnson for joining us on this episode. And thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack.